Hey, this is Brian Kane, your peak performance and mental conditioning coach. And today we're going to take some questions from our audience related to mixed martial arts fighting. And the first question comes in from Matt in Burlington, Vermont. And Matt says, Brian, you are one of the few mental performance coaches in the world who has been able to work in the world of mixed martial arts fighting. Why do you think fighters in particular are so reluctant to seek out the guidance from sports psychologists, mental performance coaches, considering they place such a mental importance on that aspect of the game and often will cite the ratio of 90 to 10 when it comes to the mental versus the physical side in a fight? Well, I believe the big reason why not just fighters, but all athletes and probably fighters in particular are hesitant to reach out to sports psychologists or mental conditioning coaches for a number of reasons. One, many people see working with a sports psychologist or a mental conditioning coach as meaning you're weak and you need help in the mental game, that you're messed up between the ears. And that's not exactly it. What it is, is a guy like George St. Pierre wants to be the best in the world. And he realizes that fighting is a mental game. Because when you step in the cage, all the training is done. It comes down to execution. And when you train for eight weeks, three times a day, for a 15-minute fight, that makes this a pressure-packed perfectionist sport. There isn't another sport out there that trains as much as MMA in comparison to how little they actually fight. Meaning you train for eight weeks, three times a day for a 15-minute fight. That would be like a baseball player going through an entire spring training for one at-bat. MMA is a hugely mental game. But I think one of the biggest reasons why is fighters and, and athletes in general, not just fighters, see people who work with sports psychologists as a crutch because they're messed up instead of looking at it the right way of I want to be excellent, I want to be one of the best in the world, I need to exhaust all opportunities for training. I think another reason is there's just not a lot of sports psychologists or mental conditioning coaches out there who understand mixed martial arts, who understand what it's like to fight in the UFC, that have been there and done the work to be able to prepare to coach an MMA fighter. You have to invest time as a mental conditioning coach into getting into the gyms and getting to know the fighters. If you're going to work with those type of athletes, it's different than baseball. It's different than golf. It's different than wrestling. You have to go volunteer your time and get around those athletes in their environment to learn how you can best help them. And I just don't see a lot of people who are willing to do that. Great question, Matt. Second question is from Angel in Albuquerque. And Angel says, the word on the street is you are working with or have worked with several UFC fighters. Who do you consider working with when you have two fighters in the same division or the same promotion. I think many fighters at a glance would see this as a potential recipe for betrayal. What are my thoughts and what advice would you give sports psychologists wanting to pursue a career in supporting fighters? A couple questions here, Angel. I think the first one is, do I consider working with other fighters in the same weight class or the same promotion? Unless I sign an exclusive contract with a fighter who says do not work with anyone else in my weight class, then I look at what I do as a coach and I have to feed my family, so I train fighters. If a fighter wants to see me as a competitive advantage for himself over everyone else in the weight class, I'm happy to negotiate an exclusive clause, though I only work with one fighter. 
I see what I do as support of the individual, support of the fighter. I have had two fighters fight against each other. I never speak with one fighter about what I speak with the other fighter about. For me, it's all about the individual relationship, and I try to stay behind the scenes as much as possible. So I prefer not to speak about fighters with whom I work with unless they have been vocal about it in the media. Guys like GSP, Cowboy Cerrone, John McDessie, guys that have talked about it, Rich Franklin then I believe it's fair to speak about some of those things that they have spoken about, but never anything that they have never spoken about publicly. What advice would I give a sports psychologist for wanting to pursue a career in supporting fighters? Go volunteer, get into your local gym, help out all those people for free until you feel like you're world-class in your knowledge and information, and then people can pay you for your time and advice. On the flip side, here's another question. It comes in from Joe. In Williamstown, Massachusetts. And Joe says, On the flip side, fighters who do seek the advice and guidance from a sports psychologist, why do you think they're reluctant to divulge this publicly? Again, that goes back to answer number one, Joe. About the reason why I think fighters are reluctant to divulge this publicly is A, they don't want people to see them as weak. B, they don't know if they divulge this. Maybe their opponents are going to try some sort of psychological warfare tactics to try to get in their head. When ultimately the perspective that people need to have is that athletes that work with sports psychologists and mental conditioning coaches are going to be more mentally tough and are going to give themselves the best chance for success. That's why they do it. Next question comes from Tom in St. Albans, Virginia. And Tom says, GSP has spoken publicly about working with you since 2007. What do you think sets him apart from the field irrespective of tactical intelligence and finely tuned athleticism. Well, George St. Pierre, that's exactly it. He's one of the most uh, gifted athletes I've been around. Uh, but I think more so than his gifts physically, George's gifts of commitment, his gifts of mental toughness, his greatest gift is being a learner. And what George St. Pierre does is he seeks knowledge and seeks people who are the best in the world at what they do, the best speed coaches, the best wrestling, the best boxing. He trains with Olympic-level athletes. He trains with athletes who specify in one aspect of their training at the Olympic level. Gymnasts, wrestlers, boxers. He brings in Muay Thai fighters from Thailand. He has a sports psychologist, a nutritionalist, a speed coach. He works with the Montreal, the Canadian Olympic track athletes. George St. Pierre is maybe the greatest learner of any athlete I've ever worked with. He is a sponge. I'm not sure physically he was born with different DNA than any other anyone else. What George has done has surrounded himself with tremendous coaches. Faraz Sahabi, Phil Nurse, Greg Jackson, John Danaher to help him to grow. And George, if you read about him earlier in his career, has tremendous commitment. He was a garbage man and a bouncer who was riding a bus from Montreal to New York City to sleep on the floor in a closet to learn jiu-jitsu from John Danaher. There maybe isn't an athlete more committed than George St. Pierre. People don't see that. They see the world championship. They see the Gatorade contract. They see three-time Canadian Athlete of the Year. What they don't see is the process of how he got there. If you want to learn about the process of how he got there, pick up his book, The Way of the Fight. 
it'll blow you away. This is one of the most committed, dedicated individuals on the planet. And the best part about it is a lot of other people can be that same way. They're just not willing to make the commitment that George has. Next question. No name, but it's a good question. We'll take it. it says, which other fighters out there stand out to you personally in terms of their mental strength, resilience, mindset, etc.? And what characteristics are you looking for? I'll tell you the mixed martial arts fighter that's impressed me the most is a guy named Kyle Maynard. Kyle Maynard was born a congenital amputee. His arms ended his elbows. His legs ended at his knees. ESPN did a special on him called A Fighting Chance, where Kyle Maynard got inside of the octagon to fight abled body competitors. Kyle Maynard was a high school wrestler. Kyle Maynard has a book called No Excuses. You want to find out about resilience, mindset, mental toughness, no excuses, overcome adversity? Take a look at Kyle Maynard, my favorite mixed martial arts fighter of all time. What other fighters stand out to me personally in terms of their mental strength? I think a guy like John Jones, as young as he is. To be able to avoid the distractions that are around him and his life as a young 26-year-old world champion, John Jones has tremendous mental strength to be able to stay focused on his process of getting to where he needs to be. I think a guy like Matt Sarah to overcome the injuries and things that he did, to be able to go on and win the Ultimate Fighter Tournament and then have the confidence to step into the cage with George St. Pierre when he did and to win that fight. That takes a mindset. Most guys are going to step in there and lose that fight before it starts. He stepped in there with the right mindset and shocked the world. Number six, this question comes in from Mary in Seattle, Washington. And Mary says, as a pioneer and driving force in the field of sports psychology, well, I'm not sure about that, but thank you, Mary. How is the science able to keep up with developing sports such as MMA because the evolution of athletes and skill acquisition is constantly creating new boundaries and thresholds? God, you guys ask such great questions. I'm not sure I even know what those mean. How do you see mental performance in MMA? Well, you know, from the sense of science, able to keep up with sports, uh, how do you use science and sports psychology is I think what you're getting at with this question. And, you know, there's biofeedback mechanisms that can measure brain waves in terms of focus and heart rate monitors that measure heart rate. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the things with with skill acquisition and, and technology is measurement equals motivation. And you have to measure your performance. And one of the things you see in football all the time is quarterbacks keeping track of their completions. You see it in baseball. In practice, people keep track of how many times the ball was hit hard. In MMA, do you keep track of in your training sessions how many quality strikes were landed? How many takedowns did you get? Who controlled the center of the octagon in training? If you did, how long was it for? And taking some of the evaluative criteria that the judges use to measure a match and using that in training. I don't see a lot of that happening in MMA. I think finding ways to add measurement to training would help improve those athletes. Next question. This comes in again with no name. You have spoken in the past about the things that world champions know that most don't. Can you talk us through those? Well, there's a lot of things that world champions know that most people don't. And if you go to my website, www.briancane.com, in there is an article that you can sign up for through my newsletter, 
where you're going to get a video where I talk about the top 10 things world champions know that you don't. Some of those things that world champions know that you don't is that winning is a byproduct of focusing on the process. You don't control winning. What you control is how you perform. And you have to focus on the things you can control and let go of the things that you can't. The other thing that champions know that most people don't is that losing isn't an option. Losing isn't an option. It's inevitable. You're going to lose. If you're not losing, you're not fighting the right people. You've got to be able to step inside of that cage and know that it's okay if you lose. It's going to happen. What you've got to do is you've got to understand that it's about the process, not the outcome. That losing isn't avoidable. Losing is essential. Otherwise, you're not fighting people who are at the same level as you. You've got to be able to go out there and do what you do. You've got to be able to go out there and learn every time you step in the cage. The other thing world champions know that most people don't is that you've got to be a learner. There's winners and learners. The only time you're a loser is when you stop learning. In life, in MMA, there are winners and there are learners. You have got to learn every time you step in the cage. Let's continue. Next question comes in. Oh, we lost it. Question. What do you think fighters need time away from the cage? Why do you think fighters, this is about GSP and his last war with Johnny Hendricks. Question is, why do you think fighters need time away from the cage to hang up their gloves? Do they reach a point where they have nothing more to prove? And is this intertwined with a lack of hunger for being number one? Why do I think fighters need time away from the cage and hang up their gloves? Because training for a fight is brutal. Fighting is not normal. You get beat up when you train for fighting. And sometimes you just need to get away and do something else. Fighting is not who you are. It is what you do. And do fighters reach a point where they have nothing more to prove? I don't think so. I think you always have something to prove until you as the fighter feel like there's nothing else for you to prove to yourself. But there's always something to prove to yourself. Every day you wake up, you got something to prove to yourself. But there comes a point where you want to hang up your gloves and do something else. You can't fight forever. You can't be a doctor forever. You can't play professional baseball forever. You can have the hunger to be number one, but also say, I'm ready to do something else. I'm ready to hang up my gloves and move on. I'm tired of getting punched in the face for a living, having my body be sore all day, eight weeks at a time. I want to do something else. And for some fighters who are fortunate enough, they're able to go do something else because they have an opportunity to go start another career based off of some fame or maybe that they've achieved inside of the cage. Maybe they want to get into acting. Maybe they want to be a teacher. You know, you hear about Rich Franklin who quit being a high school teacher to be a fighter, but you never hear about the fighters who quit to go be a high school teacher. A lot of guys fight when they're in college, fight when they're younger. Ultimately, they then go have a desk job at some point later in their career. 
So I think fighters need time away from the cage because they it's extremely difficult to train and they get beat up. You don't get beat up when you go to a job every day. You don't get beat up sitting behind a computer every day. What's hard about that physically? Do they reach a point where they have nothing else to prove? That's a question for the fighter. I hope that in my career of sports psychology, I have nothing else to prove. I'm in a place in my career where I have everything to prove to myself every day when I wake up. Hopefully there's a time in my career where I can look back and say, that was a great ride. I loved it. It was fun. Now let me train and help someone else. It's no longer about me. Let me train some other people to go be great mental conditioning coaches and pass on what I have learned through my dedication in life and experience. And I think a lot of times that's what fighters like to do. They've had people train them their entire careers, people making sacrifices for them, and I believe they like to give that opportunity to other people as well. Is it entwined with a lack of hunger? I don't think it's entwined with a lack of hunger. I think it's more entwined with a focus on wanting to do other things in life and maybe break your routine and do something else. There's a hell of a lot of awesome things you can do in this world. People these days don't stay in one job for 30 years. It doesn't matter if it's real estate or MMA. They're doing different things. Talk about the stare down. Does a stare down play that much in the realms of a mental game as you imagine it does? It depends. I have some guys when they go do a stare down, they look at the other guy's nipples because they just don't want to make eye contact with them because that's just their routine. They want to look at the guy's nipples. Other guys want to stare into the guy's soul and stare into his eyes and stare in it. And I think the, the stare down plays very little effect on the fight. I think the stare down before the fight it comes down to you having a routine. Are you going to look the guy in the face? Are you going to look him in the chest? Are you going to look through him? Are you going to look at his nose? Are you going to look at his lips? Are you going to laugh? Are you going to smile? Are you going to have the bulldog stare? Are you going to close your eyes? What are you going to do? I focus on the individual athlete that I work with and his or her routine for what they're going to do in the stare down. Does it play much of a mental game? I think where it plays a mental game is when you go in there for the fight, you have to look at your opponent and you haven't done your homework so you don't know what they look like. You haven't stared at them before the fight in the weigh-ins. You haven't looked at them in a picture throughout your whole training camp, which the fighters I work with, we take a picture of the opponent and put it up around the gym so they can see it all the time. And they don't have a routine when they step in the cage. And if you don't have a routine for what you're going to do in the stare down, you can get caught in there and get self-doubt. Ultimately, you got to go in there with your routine, focus on yourself, because every time you step in the cage, the fight is with yourself. The fight is about you going out there, fighting your fight, performing at your best, and letting the result and the outcome take care of itself. Now, if you're interested in getting more material on the mental game, I've got five books available at briancane.com. You want to pick up The Daily Dominator. It's a book you can read every day. It's going to give you one page a day. right? If you want to get better at wrestling, work with a wrestling coach. Jiu-Jitsu, work with a Jiu-Jitsu coach. Stand up, get with a boxing, kickboxing coach, Muay Thai coach. Want to get stronger, go to the gym. How do you get better mentally? How you get better mentally is you work on your mental game by doing a little a lot, not a lot to little. So here's some resources you can turn to. The Mental Conditioning Manual, Your Blueprint for Excellence. This is my book that's been a number one bestseller that's going to train you on the system of MMA 
and mental toughness conditioning. It's available at briankane.com slash Kane products. Also, The Daily Dominator. It's a book that you read one page a day. It's going to share with you throughout the course of the entire year the mental strategies that elite-level athletes are using. My book, Champions Tell All, Inexpensive Experience, has a tremendous feature and a chapter on Rich Franklin, a future UFC Hall of Famer, a former UFC world champion, where he's going to talk about his mental game and the work that we did together and how it made a difference for him. In my book, So What Next Pitch, How to Play Your Best When It Means the Most. Don't be confused that this is a baseball book because it has a baseball cover. It's not. There's a chapter in there with the legendary wrestling coach Dan Gable where he's going to talk about how he trains his world-class athletes at Iowa in the mental game. If you want a DVD system, my pride personal responsibility and daily excellence system is an 18 video system that has an in-depth interview with UFC world champion George St. Pierre shot live from his hotel locker room talking about mental preparation. And then we have my four rip three MMA mental conditioning system. This is the DVD and audio program designed specifically to help you take your MMA mental game system to the next level. If you go to www.briancane slash Monday, you can sign up for my Monday mental conditioning newsletter where you get an email from me every Monday throughout your entire career. Because my commitment to you for listening to this, for reading this, is to help you be your best when it means the most. And if you're not training your mental game, you're going to fall short of your potential. Absolutely positively guaranteed you need to train the six feet between your ears to control the six feet below it mental toughness is a skill that can be trained and developed and i've got the training system for you pick it up at brian kane b-r-i-a-n-c-a-i-n.com sign up for my monday message at briancane.com slash monday sign up for my newsletter at briancane.com and i will help you to fight your fight